Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm finally starting to cool down. How are you doing? Yeah, it has been a ridiculously hot uh, weekend. I think we talk about the heat more and more, but this weekend was <laughs> record-breaking. I think the hottest it's ever been in San Francisco and 114 down here in certain areas. So pretty Fahrenheit. Pretty cr- ridiculous. <laughs> yes, Fahrenheit. <laughs> We're not boiling water in the air here. We, yeah, we haven't. Uh, Although it has felt like it. Whew, I mean... Uh, the hot breeze was really intense, uh, just even just walking around. So, Yeah, and, and I, I think for people to contextualize, you have to understand, even though this is the high-tech capital of the world, uh, we live in run-down uh, mid-century apartment buildings that have no air conditioning. They barely have any heat because yeah. most of the time the temperature is fine. It's, you know, it stays within like 60 to 75, but the days that it gets outside of those bounds, man, it's, it's, everything comes to a stop here. Yes, it does. So we are uh, lucky to uh, have a little bit of reprieve uh, tonight. Um, so we're recording a little later than we normally do, but it won't affect anyone listening. So with that... We, we are laboring on our podcast on Labor Day. We are. Um, what are you drinking tonight to stay cool? Uh, I am. I did not have anything original tonight, so I am just making myself a Negroni. Mm. Or I, I should say I made myself a Negroni. You're I've currently come, making it? I've, I've come unstuck in time here. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, just, you know, a, a classic. I uh, can never really go wrong with a Negroni. Um, and yeah. That's uh, just enjoying that and uh, noticing that there's a lot of condensation on the outside of my glass, which means the humidity level is higher than normal around here. Mm. How about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, one of my favorites, a water lily. Um, So I've got some gin and uh, the creme de violet, which is uh, a lot of, it's hard to get through a bottle of creme de violet. Um, So (laughs) try and try my best, but I think it's, that's going to stick around for a couple more years. So. Not yes. sure. So, so we got gin all around tonight. Gin, gin all around. Yes, mine's a, a little bit softer than than yours, but uh, still cheers, tasty. So, um, all right. So, one thing you said in the last episode, the OpenAI episode, kind of caught me. Uh, the idea that so in the OpenAI episode, we were talking about how one of the big breakthroughs for for them is doing a lot of uh, training and simulation. So they'll have a robot that is modeled in the software instead of in the real world. And rather than doing necessarily reinforcement learning in the real world where it's actually picking things up, they might do that for a little bit, but then they have the robot do it in simulation in 3D space and do it millions of times as fast as the computers can go. And that that has been very useful for OpenAI in making some of these advancements uh, with the video games and with uh, the robotics. And then one thing you had mentioned was uh, that humans have done this as well, uh, where we use simulators to train ourselves. And the example of uh, the space shuttle simulator and uh, more general aviation simulators, and then realizing that also race car drivers use simulators. Oh, even and- things like like police officers get trained in, in simulators too, where they'll have like a virtual gun and, you know, things coming up on screens and stuff. And yep. this is, and this is even before you get into to now the sort of VR, AR world where you can even do more uh, real world simulations. Right. And just that the uh, general idea of, of the value of simulation um, and so I thought we could sort of talk about simulation in the context of uh, autonomy and self-driving. Uh, obviously, there's useful applications of simulation for the production side of Tesla. 
and manufacturing side, but I wanted to focus our discussion tonight on the autonomy side since it's one of our most favorite topics. And we got a lot of positive feedback on the OpenAI episode about people wanting to hear more about the AI and uh, the sort of deep neural networks and things. So that's what I thought we could uh, talk about tonight and just sort of see where it takes us. Sounds good. Let's dive in. Yeah. So I guess the first thing to sort of talk through and expound on is sort of why would Tesla and other automakers want to use simulation and how could they use it? So uh, the first few methods are thus. So um, one would be you're driving the car and you want to, uh, the car sees some rare event, um, a dumpster driving, a dumpster like coming down a street or um, a crazy, uh, you know, event happens, some, some marathon that was unexpected runs in front of you. I don't know, all, all sorts of strange rare events that you uh, wouldn't really be able to recreate uh, safely, um, but you've recorded data from it. And so you take that sensor data and you send it back to Tesla or another automaker or another uh, car company or autonomy company. And then that information is then uh, rebuilt and, and replayed to uh, see what would happen given new software or uh, tweaking it slightly. So um, sort of this idea of you've got sort of the last 15 or 20 seconds of some event and it's unusual and strange and either the system behaved oddly or uh, you expect it would and you want to sort of test it um, sort of like the dash cam effect for simulation. So that's definitely seems like one uh, very clear use for simulation that is sort of happening at the end of the chain. So everything's already been built and you just want to sort of validate and test at the very end after it's already been released uh, to sort of see, oh, something weird happened. Let's validate that um, and check what check what would happen if this new software was running in it. So, yeah, and it's it, I mean it's very similar to things that as a, as a human you experience this too at, at, in a in a different sort of way where you know something will happen. You'll have, you'll be in a conversation or an argument or something, and you know you how it goes, however it goes, and then later on you're replaying it in your head and you're thinking, oh wait, if I, I could have said this or I could have yeah. said that, and you know the 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 uh, what is it esprit d'escalier right the the spirit of the stairs like the thing you think about as you're walking down the stairs to leave the place mm-hmm. like, a little bit too that. late uh, yeah smart and comment i mean it's it's a, it's the same sort of thing um in that except you know a, a little more tangible i guess and and at a, at a bigger scale right and this this playback simulation is something that um we're pretty confident tesla is doing because uh, a few years back uh, sterling anderson the former one of the former heads of autopilot um gave a talk at an mit conference and one of the things he talked about was the development process and uh so they come up with a feature um and uh they'll actually do simulation ahead of time, which is another version, which we'll get to. But once the software is out there in the car, they actually would be running it in an inert shadow mode. And um, basically, the car would be recording what's happening and then sending back to Tesla when uh, either the system would have behaved oddly or um, basically being able to sort of simulate what would happen given the data that the car was actually experiencing. So they're sort of using it in this sort of shadow mode on the car, which is sort of similar to this sort of playback mentality where uh, data is happening and it's not impacting anything. It's not learning anything. It's purely sort of a recording and playback uh, to influence uh, the humans who are sort of using this data to correct themselves. So 
that's probably that's really where it actually started. And a lot of the folks who are in the simulation, uh, I was going to say world, but it's like development teams and <laughs> industry. This is really where simulation uh, sort of started. And, and it also was working in the automotive world with simulating uh, stopping power of brakes and simulating uh, what would happen with sort of um, the fluid dynamics of, of the air of, on the bodies. So that sort of... Um, gathering data and then playing it through a 3d model um is is has been around for a little bit longer but the thing that has been more new is this idea of full world simulation and sort of um synthetic actors so um but before we get to that actually i want to step back (laughs) sorry um so you've got you so you've got these sort of playback methods uh, and one one sort of philosophy that's been brought to uh, the car companies is this idea of uh, unit testing and automated testing um, from the software world. And the general idea there would be, okay, we've seen a hundred strange things happen, a hundred corner cases. We've gotten data back and we now want to make sure this doesn't happen again in our next release and that maybe we can improve upon it. So there's this concept of unit tests and integration tests and software. Um, and I thought maybe Mike, you could explain to folks who aren't familiar with those concepts, sort of what, what they're good for, what they are and sort of what that might, what the analog or sort of corollary would be for this sort of simulation for autonomous cars. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so the, I mean, the general principle in, in software testing, especially around, I mean, in unit testing, let me say, is that you want to uh, isolate the component that you want to test. So uh, you can imagine in any sort of situation in a computer, there's like multiple, multiple things that are done, things that are called, and you, you have sort of an end-to-end thing that you want to have happen. But, uh, you know, if you just test the end-to-end functionality, something could go wrong anywhere along the way and you wouldn't know where it is. So what you try and do is you try and break everything down into the smallest possible pieces that you have. And then you you simulate everything else around the piece of functionality that you want to test. So like, let's say you have something that wants to download an image from a website or, or for example, then you would simulate everything else. You would simulate the website, you'd simulate the network. It would, you just make sure that it always gives you back the same image at the same rate and whatever else. And then you would only test your code. The only live code would be like your code that was doing something with that image that got downloaded. So you basically isolate one piece of functionality and then everything around it is when I say, and when I say simulated, that means that it's not real stuff and it gives you back exactly the same results every time. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, this is especially important when you get into like dates and calendar time and stuff like that. You want to make sure that, you know, every time you run the test that you're not like getting a different date back. You want to make sure you get back the same like time window every time. Um, so anyways, it's, it's just a way of making sure that everything else in the universe for that test is exactly known. It's, it's you know exactly what's there. And then the only piece of functionality that you're testing is the the specific thing you've identified. And then you know if it doesn't give you the right result that the problem it lies with that piece of code rather than anything else. And so it's it's a matter of, I mean, you call it kind of black box testing where essentially you've got your live piece of code and everything else is just treated as like a black box and you're getting the the results you expect back. So right. Yeah. So anyways, and then like that's unit testing. Integration testing is actually the is is combining your whole system and doing that end to end test. So 
ideally like once you've actually done all of your unit tests and like you've you've verified that every piece of functionality is working properly in isolation then you actually want to test the entire system and an integration test is is a system test where you say you know if i give you this username and password i'm able to log into the website and mm-hmm. like you know a million things are happening behind the scenes to make that happen but you just want to test like very very high level uh, effects and results and and sort of the virtue of them is that a you don't have a human uh trying to go around and click around and do all this stuff every single release um right and then the other big piece is that if you've got a lot of people working on a software project and someone touches something in the date code and maybe it changes one thing over here but what actually happens is it also is like the billing code is expecting to get the date format back in this existing old format and someone changed it but they didn't update the billing code and so then they deploy it and you don't have unit tests and so cool this feature that is doing this new cool date filtering thing is working and everyone's happy but then you realize wait there haven't been any credit card transactions in a while (laughs) and then you go and look and you say ah we we forgot to update the billing code to honor this new date format that we're using because that's a new date format we want. And if you had a unit test on that, just as you were saying, that expects a certain date format for the billing to work, that would have failed as soon as that developer tried to push that to production. And right. it's sort of this safety net, essentially, sort of for me at least, it's a huge safety net when I'm testing software and as a product person being like, okay, we're going to work on this other feature, but I don't want all this other stuff to change or get affected. And it just sort of gives you this high level of confidence that other parts of the system that you expect to behave a certain way will continue to behave in a certain way. And so what what was sort of interesting was thinking about the corollary here for uh, autonomous cars and sort of how you would use simulation and, and how you sort of think about unit tests. And so unit tests, I think, are probably, uh, you, there's actual unit tests in the software. So you could say things like, okay, we expect our radar to return signals in this format and we're going to process them in this way. And so every time you commit code, you make sure that you haven't sort of mucked with that format, right? That'd be like a true software unit test. But then sort of the more uh, more fuzzy version of this idea would be, okay, uh, when you come to stop signs, you are supposed to apply the brake, not the accelerator. Like, okay, let's do a unit test for that. When when the software asks us to brake, we're actually going to, you know, apply the braking force instead of the accelerating force as a really dumb example. <laughs> so you'd have unit tests all over the place essentially for that. And so the simulator is going to make sure that when it starts to see something that's causing it to brake or expecting it to brake, that it actually does. And you might have these little micro interactions. And what we've actually found out very recently in one of the, a new article that was posted on The Atlantic uh, invest in sort of a Waymo invited, uh, invited them in was that they have like over 20,000 structured tests and in simulation of different maneuvers of going around a roundabout four-way stops, four-way stops with multiple people, bouncing balls coming across the way, cones coming out, someone backing out, but you can't see them 20,000 structured examples that they've created in physical space, these sort of like little tests. And they actually test against all of those on every change that they make and trying to improve. And so when I saw, when I heard that they they had like 20,000 plus of these little structured examples, it really sort of reminded me of this unit testing idea of coming up with one little thing to make sure that it works because 
you're working on this huge piece of software and you make some improvement to try and deal with uh, sort of how smoothly you navigate around a parked car and now you might veer over the lane and now you've crossed the lane. And so yeah. how do you make sure that those don't happen? And so... Yeah, in, in the software world, we call that regression. So you want to make sure that your your system doesn't regress, that, that things that you're doing correctly stay correct. And, right, exactly. And you want to know that as you're making the change that causes the regression. Right, right. it you gives you the confidence to, to make all the other changes because you know you're protected. Like some, something's going to let you know if what you're doing breaks something like, you know, 20 jumps away. Right. And in software, it's like the, the cycle time is pretty relatively quick, uh, especially for web apps, right? If if you do break something, A, the, the sort of risk to human life is usually quite low with software, you know, web apps and <laughs> Gmail and photos and, you know, survey software, whatever. Yeah. And, and to, to be clear, too, like this is the kind of thing where it runs you, once you have all these set up, they run automatically. So right, every yeah. time you change code, you're running like the system is just running all these in the background and letting you know when things happen or shaming the person who broke the build or, or that sort of thing. So it's it kind of removes the the human element from from the uh, development process. Right. Exactly. It's sort of our own little simulation of running the software of people using the software, even though right. it's not people. Um, it's. For, to, from the, and the important thing is from the software's point of view, from your code's point of view, it doesn't know the difference, right? It doesn't know it's in testing mode or simulation mode. Right. That code path is just, oh, I just got some, a request to make a credit card transaction. Cool. Oh, I just saw this request that looks, exa- I mean, it is a request that is exactly the same as if a human were doing it. But we, as the creator of the system, know that it was uh, us with faking a credit card and then clicking the button but to the code's point of view it doesn't know the difference and, and that's super critical because for simulation to work and for unit tests to work they they have to model the reality of what's going to happen otherwise it doesn't it's not helpful um and so what's really intriguing about this idea of uh sort of this these little test cases is that you have to you have to give enough data to the system or make the scenario real enough that uh, you you actually want to make sure that you're not breaking the scenario when someone makes some other code change. Um, and so that sort of goes to this last idea of what's happening in these simulators is this idea of sort of whole world. Well, it's the penultimate idea. There's one more that's really cool. <laughs> um, this idea of sort of whole world simulation where not only Previously, you're just sort of getting little data streams about parts of the system, but now you're going to simulate other actors. So in the first scenario, we were talking about like data coming from uh, observed from the car itself and its sensors in the real world and a real drive. But even at Tesla scale with millions and millions of miles being driven, uh, you really need billions and eventually trillions of miles to see everything that's ever happened in enough cases to really understand all of driving dynamics. And so what's really kind of intriguing is this idea that, well, what if we could actually sort of simulate more and not just have the true data coming from the cars that are actually being driven by humans, but what if we could put fake cars in the scene and have fake cars drive in front of you, but have those fake cars trigger the sensors in the same way that a real car would. So the cameras see a car, the radar sees a metal object, but the LIDAR, if you're using LIDAR, reflects in the same way. 
And yeah. that's this really crazy idea of like, well, now we're just going to make a whole 3D matrix style world <laughs> where the car, our little autonomous vehicle car is actually experiencing the entire world. And that's more like this integration idea where the whole thing is being simulated, not just little piecemeal parts. Yeah. And, and going back to what we were talking about with unit testing and being able to, to isolate and, and give it like known inputs and look for expected outputs. Uh, one of the things that, that you're talking about here is because the autonomous vehicle is using all of these digital sensors, whether they're cameras or LIDAR or sonar, they're all ultimately these discrete sensors that have some sort of interface where they, they, they are analyzing the, the environment and they're giving a signal back to the main processing unit mm-hmm. or maybe a subprocessing unit or whatever. It's not important. Um, and in a known format. And they are, so when a, let's say a LIDAR sees a car in front of you, it gives you a disc, uh, a known pattern of whatever bits or whatever the commands are that come back that says, hey, there is a object of a certain size and density in a certain location with a certain velocity or whatever it is that it's giving you back. And that's the exact kind of thing where you can start to black box that, where you can say you have a, you know, you can have your, 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 uh, your exact software that runs the main system running and it for all it knows the lidar that it's getting the signal from could be real could be virtual it doesn't actually care so you can actually and this is what you're saying where instead of actually the 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 main brain of the autonomous vehicle is running the exact same code it's running when it's driving on the roads except instead of getting the signals from real world sensors it's getting signals from the virtual sensors in the virtual world and they look exactly the same right and i think that's the that's that's the thing that took me a little while to click how when you look at it from like a if you imagine these cars sort of driving around in like a gta 5 environment which we now know people are doing um (laughs) and using uh gta 5 because it has a traffic model and it has signs and stoplights and uh, roads and different types of uh, uh, weather models that if you've built software for a self-driving car you could load your car into a simulator that is based on gta 5 and sort of just set it loose and see what happens and when you sort of when you hear about that, you sort of vis- at least for me, I visualized a car driving around third person in in uh, in the in sort of the game, and I was like, well, that doesn't seem that impressive. Like there are cars driving around, but then when you actually think about, okay, well, what if I was actually like in that car and looking around, like, okay, maybe that seems kind of more interesting. Like I wrote software that's actually driving me around in this virtual world, but then. That still was like, eh, it still seems like, don't we already have that? But then when I was really thinking about, well, from the LIDAR's point of view or the, the radar's point of view, if that car that it's seeing is actually like metallic and it re- returns the correct signals, then from the LIDAR's point of view, it's no different than a real car. Then it really started to hit me that that is like... If that signal does come back accurately, right, like that's that's a separate discussion. But if it sure. actually models the real world correctly, from the car's point of view and the software's point of view, it's no different. And that means that opens up so many possibilities because now you can do lots of things. You can say, OK, we have perfect information. We know this car is going to swerve in front of our AV, our autonomous vehicle at this speed. 
and there's going to be this pedestrian that's going to jump out of the way and we need to see what our car is going to do. Like we, and we can run that scene a million times and our car in the beginning is just going to f- blow through. Oh man, it knocked <laughs> over the pedestrian. It, it ran into the car. Failure. Okay. Now we so go they're back. simulating a trolley problem here? Is that yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll pretend we're simulating a trolley problem here <laughs> and then we won't actually decide what ends up happening. Anyways, now we're going to say, okay, well, what happened? Uh, we didn't really see that car. Okay. Now, uh, we didn't see it. Why? Well, we didn't identify it as a person because we just didn't build a person classifier yet. Okay. John, go over there, build a person classifier. Cool. Come back. All right. The person classifier is loaded up. Let's run it again. Oh, cool. We saw the pedestrian, but we still hit the car. Okay. Now we need a car detector, right? And like, these are very gross examples, but now the car is behaving differently given the exact same set of input right and it's getting the same amount of, the same data is coming back from all the sensors it's just actually learning to interpret it in a better way yeah exactly the same data like it's almost sort of like tdd <laughs> it's like this idea like okay we're actually gonna like all the data coming in is gonna be simulated perfectly and then all we have to do in air quotes all we have to do is <laughs> uh behave the way we want because in the real world the challenge is you can't reproduce something like if i'm driving down the street as much as my drive every day is the same or your drive is the same it's not there are always different cars there's always different traffic i mean each i mean everything in the real world is unique um there's no way to recreate the exact same position down to the nanosecond down to the nanometer right like it's impossible yeah, I mean, even if you even if you drive the exact same route with stationary vehicles i mean the sun will be in a slightly different place so the shadows will be in a slightly different direction and i mean it's 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 almost impossible to recreate the exact same situation right and so the problem there is you go out and drive uh you go out in the physical car that you've got and you've got like you know a year of work on your autonomous vehicle and you're driving around palo alto you're driving around san francisco and someone walks across the street and the car doesn't really stop. So you have to take over. You go back to the team. Hey, we got to we got to solve this. Someone comes up with a solution. You load in the car. You go out. How do you know that it would it would stop? Because maybe it's stopping for pedestrians now, but you don't know if it would have stopped in that particular case. And that's where simulation is so valuable is that now you actually could simulate that exact same scenario and know for sure that your software at least has solved that case where it previously failed. And that's one of the big challenges in any software project is this sort of repeatability to know that you didn't just sort of move the cup around where like, oh, well, now it's solving it over here. It's sort of this whack-a-mole problem where you've solved a bug and created a new one that with simulation, you can have high confidence that this particular case you, you have solved And then the next stage, and one of the things that also was in this piece was this idea of fuzzing. And so in unit tests, we don't really like, at least I don't think we do, at least our company, like simulate a hundred different credit cards, you know, being asked. Maybe we simulate a couple, right? Like uh, Amex and a Visa or whatever in our unit tests. And then maybe some different, you know, uh, credit card um, CVVs and maybe some different expiration dates. So you get a little bit of variability. But what we found out about how some of these other car companies are doing it and different software companies like Zooks and others is that they'll do that. They'll get that real data from the real world of the of the pedestrian in the car, for instance, crossing the lane. And then they'll be like, cool. Now we've brought in the simulation. We've made it completely digital. Now let's create a thousand variations. Let's make that car come at 
you know, 50 miles an hour and 55 miles an hour and 60 miles an hour. And let's have this pedestrian run across the street. And now let's make the pedestrian wait and then go and create all these permutations, thousands and thousands of permutations from this one sort of base scenario of someone crossing the street when they're not supposed to. And now what's gone from one unit test, you know, essentially to now thousands. And now you can see, do you, do you successfully pass all of those? And to yeah. get that data reliably in the real world would be so incredibly time consuming and probably actually kind of impossible. Like yeah, you'd almost need like a Hollywood movie set or something where you'd have a controlled environment and have stunt people running around and doing everything in a perfectly timed way. Um, but yeah, one thing that, and, and as you say that too, it, it just to tie it back around the, um, this idea of you, you could imagine all the sensors, uh, recording everything. And then, uh, if you want to just keep going back against the same thing that you saw in the wild and getting better at it, you can do what is just kind of called like playback where you're just like playing back the exact same scenario, uh, and, and just doing it over and over again until you actually learn it. And then. And that that's more of like the standard uh, or probably the, the first level. Yeah. The and then first. what you mentioned afterwards is is as you get good enough at this and you're, you're simulating the entire world, then you've actually gotten to the point where you're not just playing back the, the recording of the sensors that came back from your drive through actual San Francisco. You are simulating results from from virtual sensors in your virtual San Francisco. And at that point, that's when you are. When you get to that level of fidelity, you can then start, like you say, like throwing, you know, make the person run and have a car jump out and, you know, a, a drone, an Amazon delivery drone flies by or, right. or whatever else. You can do any sort of permutation that you can come up with and you can do them fast and repeated and at an enormous scale. And, and one of the other things that you had mentioned earlier that is in sort of um, a natural cause of unit tests is you've written the test once. And then you can run it infinitely forever. And that's like so critical is that you've come up with all these different scenarios and crafted thousands of variations and then you can move on. And every time someone on your team builds the software to try and deploy it, it can run through all those tests if you have enough compute. Again, why compute is so powerful right now and so important to all these companies and running all these scenarios in you know, a 3D space is not cheap uh, from a computing point of view. But given infinite computing power, you would write as many of these as you thought were necessary and then have the computer modify them. And every single time you just sort of run it again. And that's huge. I mean, if you were to try and say, okay, we cut a new version, go drive around. There's no way you could hit all of those test cases. It's like asking a QA team to like test the entire service front to back every 15 minutes. It's just like not, not feasible anymore. And they're, you know, they're, they're going to be very distant scenarios too. So you want to make sure that once your autonomous vehicle knows not to hit a stroller being pushed in a crosswalk uh, in a, in the middle of a dense city, that when you're tweaking the algorithm, or, you know, training it to handle better passing on a 10 lane highway that it doesn't actually change its performance characteristics in that crosswalk. You'll know that that's always being tested. And I think two other things, two other uh, offshoots of this level of simulation we're talking about that kind of were exciting to hear about. One was from a company called um, 
right hook um they were they were talking about some so they they provide simulation as a service so now there are companies and startups uh, they're only a few years old where they're they're building simulation software for self-driving cars that's what their company does and so they provide these simulation tools that companies have been working on since the beginning of uh sort of self-driving cars but it's been proprietary they're trying to make it so that anyone who's building self-driving cars can have world-class uh, simulation capabilities. And so one of the things they were talking about that I found really intriguing was this idea, one of testing different sensors. So you can imagine Tesla has chosen their, their ultrasonics, they've chosen their radar, they've chosen their cameras, but how did they choose which cameras to pick, where to position them, which radar to pick. And in the old days, you would have to go get some samples from a manufacturer, install them on your vehicle, and go drive around and test what, what comes back. With simulation, you can actually, and this is what this company does as well, is they have modeled different parts from different LiDAR manufacturers, camera manufacturers for the focal length, the field of view, the uh, number of f-stops, and basically they have virtual versions of these sensors. And so you can come in with your Ford Fusion uh, model or your Tesla model and say, hmm, what would it be if we had these three cameras from Sony in here? And then run your software. And then say, hmm, what if we tried these three cameras from uh, someone else? Or we want to try the Bosch radar, we want to try the Continental radar. And see oh, now our car can actually see 100 meters further and how the object detection and the path planning performs. And that was so crazy to imagine that you could actually test pretty much all the different sensors that are available in simulation. Because as we were talking about, if your radar can only see 100 meters, then the car will only see 100 meters in this virtual world that extends for infinity. But if it could exceed 200 meters out, it's going to get more data points. and so. For the car's point of view, it now has a much better view of the world, but you didn't have to buy the hardware. And so what they were saying is they've gotten cooperation from these different partners and vendors because uh, the, the new upstarts want to get into these high quality cars and into Teslas and others. But those manufacturers are like, well, we don't know if your sensor is any good. So they could actually prove it to them in simulation. And so then they got the big guys to come and participate because they were losing business to these small upstarts. So it's really <laughs> intriguing, this idea of like testing different sensors, but also positioning. So you're like, hmm, what if we moved our camera to the rear view mirror? What right. would change? What, what if we put it in the B pillar as Tesla does? Or what if we add another camera? And it's just so, so interesting to imagine virtually just testing all these different permutations of sensors and be like, nope, this one, it's performing the best. It meets the cost criteria we have. Let's go build it into sheet metal. And that's like... Can you imagine how much faster that is and how much sort of higher confidence you'd have that, that you made the right decision if you were able to do it in simulation? And now people can. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the other ones they mentioned that I thought was really cool before we move on was this idea of um, because the simulation has, uh, in the full world simulation, perfect information about what everything is. Um, one of the challenges on any software team with uh, complex software is you usually have different teams working on different parts of the system all at once, and you're driving towards some end goal. Uh, so in this <laughs> no case, no pun intended. Right, you've got some uh, some sort of um, you want to get to be able to drive around Palo Alto or San Francisco or whatever, and uh, you've got the people who are doing the controls. So 
how do you actually actuate the brakes and accelerator? You've got folks who are doing uh, the uh, object detection and the sensor fusion. Got people doing uh, sort of segmentation and drivable free space. Uh, you've got people doing the path planning and you've got people doing the mapping. Okay, sort of four or five sort of different parts. If one of those teams is behind and it's sort of a critical early piece like detection, how do the other teams make any progress if it's only physical? Because you're trying to drive your car and it can't, it can't actually perceive anything. Like it doesn't matter how good your controls are. If you don't know there's a car in front of you, you're, you're sort of out of luck. And you <laughs> certainly not shipping with a YOLO mode. Right, exactly. And you're, and you're certainly not going to be able to navigate if you can't even tell where you are in the real world. So you've got sort of these dependencies on different parts of the team and different teams being able to meet certain milestones at the same time to sync up. So that's a challenge. When in simulation, you can kind of solve that because you could say, okay, path planning team, we're going to give you 100% perfect knowledge of the world. We're going to give you 100% perfect knowledge of everything in the scene. And basically, you're going to be fed perfect information uh, from our software because we can actually tell you that's a pedestrian and it's 50, 50 meters away. What are you going to do? And so it's like, well, this is what the car will do once our perception team has caught up and actually able to perceive everything. But in the meantime, you're going to build your software uh, given 100% sort of accuracy. And that sort of stubbing out with uh, uh, this faked data, but actually real, is really interesting because now each team uh, is actually able to advance at its own pace and not actually be relying on the quality of the previous or sort of adjacent team's code. And that was really exciting to hear about as well, this idea that, okay, now if you can't perceive anything, you kind of can't move to the next gate because they're kind of sequential. But in simulation, they can be operating uh, in, in any sequence you want. And so that was really kind of exciting to hear about and, and imagine because in Tesla's case, there are clearly some challenges they have uh, around getting their perception and vision all the way they want, but that doesn't mean that their path planning team or HD mapping team uh, can't be using a simulator to be like, well, when we solve that problem, how will we be able to navigate highways and local streets and deal with pedestrians? And so you can sort of put that problem on hold and let other teams make progress waiting for the perception to get better, for instance. And that's a very common principle in software. Like you build an API, you expect a certain result and you build to that. But in self-driving cars, if you had to drive the physical car, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. And that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we say simulation, I think the, the mind immediately jumps to like the whole world simulation, like we were talking about, like sim using something like Grand Theft Auto and, and basically having this entire photorealistic simulated world. But yeah, like you say, like simulation can be broken down to the component level uh, and, and yeah, becomes very useful in, in, in cases like that. So the last step uh, of sort of the pyramid is this idea of using simulators to actually train the system. So the first step was like, oh, we're going to play back data. The next one is sort of like, oh, we're actually going to explore a physical space and make up uh, scenarios. And then the last is really, well, what if we actually train our vision systems and train our uh, other micro neural networks for control or for distance uh, detection or for path planning or for building maps um, in simulators? 
and then bring that out to the real world. And so we got some really good uh, data from Zooks because, so Zooks is a company here in San Francisco. They're trying to build a complete um, self-driving experience. They're building the car and the <laughs> software and they've sort of uh, tried to stay private and quiet, but weird things have leaked out about them. And they, they have pretty audacious goals. They've actually just like hired like 17 folks from Apple. And uh, so they've, they've got a lot going on, like 200 something people. But they did a talk at um, a Unreal conference. So Unreal, the video game 3D engine. And uh, I think we both sort of saw the video and, and uh, were pretty impressed with some of the things they were doing. Because yeah, yeah, everyone should watch this. We'll, we'll link it up. But yeah, you should definitely watch it. I mean, they are doing a lot. Like, so one, one thing you've probably seen or, or possibly seen is this, like, these sort of segmentation maps. So you, if you imagine an image of the roadway from the driver's seat and you're like, okay, there's the road and there's parked cars maybe and there's lane markings and stop signs that not only sort of detecting bounding boxes, but sort of coloring every pixel. So every pixel on the road that's drivable is going to be green and all the stop signs are going to be red. And how do you sort of segment everything in the scene that that visual sensor captures? And uh, doing that traditionally has meant even and like traditionally, I mean, like in the past couple of years, uh, <laughs> way back when, exactly a couple of years ago, um, meant that you would be like, okay, uh, let me take this image and uh, put it on Mechanical Turk or have my team uh, like manually highlight the pixels that are different classes and then we will uh save that information and you're seeing will, it in captchas too didn't you get a captcha with this recently yeah i got a captcha recently where uh my you know am i a robot type thing and instead of you know filling out like a house number or something uh it was click on the, the squares that have a car and then i did it again and it was like click on the squares that have a stop sign and <laughs> it was an image that had like maybe nine squares and uh i clicked on a couple and so i as a you know filling out this captcha and basically uh providing human level intelligence to train to segment this image um but that's sort of one approach because you've got like real photos of uh of of things in the real world that they want to segment but what Zooks is doing and others are doing, which is sort of the most modern approach, is you've got artists and others who have created these super high realist, like super realistic, photorealistic uh, stop signs and roadways inside these game engines. And so they would possibly use like uh, adversarial networks to create really high quality looking stop signs. And then the cars will drive through. And they'll actually basically be snapping photos of everything they're seeing, and then they'll train their networks on it. And the training data is the images they captured from the simulator, like what the camera in the fake car in the simulator would have seen, which is kind of crazy to like imagine <laughs> like the first person view snapping photos, just like your real Tesla will take photos of what it sees. Well, I mean, you, and you see that too in, in video games, like sports games. If you play things like Madden or, or other games with like uh, different camera selections, you can actually choose which camera angle you want and you can right. bounce around between them. And it's essentially the same thing, You're, except the cameras are all virtually mounted on this fake vehicle. Right. So then you can skip the human step. You can skip the human tagging step because in a real photo uh, from a real car, you don't know for sure if that's a stop sign. You have to have a human take a look at it before you can run your model. 
we're not really at the stage yet where we can do fully unsupervised learning. You still pass it an image and then the truth of this is a stop sign, this is a traffic light, this is a car, and then it learns the connection between stop sign and this image with this pixel data that looks like a car. Um, but with the simulator, GTA or this Unity or Unreal Engine knows that it put a car or a stop sign at this space. And so when it takes a photo of it, it can actually embed exactly what every pixel in that photo was and where it was. So then their neural network actually has perfect information about this image has a stop sign and the stop sign is exactly right here. So they're training their neural networks on perfectly generated fake images but photorealistic but photorealistic and what's crazy uh, or not so crazy is that it actually works really well to get the neural network trained to a level where actually from there uh, he the ceo stated on stage at least that they have 98 percent accuracy on car detection up to 40 meters away trained from their simulator that's in the real world. So yeah. they've trained it completely in the simulator and then they go out and drive and they're like, wow, we, their system is like, yeah, that's a car. I know that's a car. <laughs> you just showed me a million of those. What are you talking about? And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We only showed you fake cars. And I'm like, what's the difference? And that's, that's the crazy thing is that these neural networks, even though humans could possibly tell the difference, the functional important bits of what a car are, we're able to do those so well in 3D now that we can trick the system into wreck. I mean, it is a car, but it's just fake. Like it's this weird, <laughs> it looks like a car, recursive yeah. thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and what's what's really exciting about that too, and and one of uh, one of the big concerns people raise is that all these car companies or are these autonomous driving companies are here in Silicon Valley training vehicles driving around Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley has probably the most hospitable climate. In, on, maybe on the entire earth, right? It's like pretty close. The weather is like very rarely, despite how much we complain about occasional waves of of uh, slightly warmer than usual temperatures. It like you know the temperature stays in a certain band. We don't have winter. It rarely rains. But with the simulations and in, in these virtual worlds, you can see a stop sign, but you can also simulate that stop sign in rain, in hail, in snow, at dusk, at dawn, in the middle of the afternoon, and you can do all. All of these things, like you know, a hundred times a second, a thousand times a second, depending on how fast you're, you know, maybe faster, and it, it really builds a lot more confidence in the wide range of environments you'll actually encounter in the world. Actually, you know, maybe counterintuitively more so than actually just driving vehicles around in the real world. Right, and the other thing, two two other crazy parts is like one is that you could actually simulate sensor failures which you yes. wouldn't want to do in the real world you wouldn't want to like slowly cover up with mud a sensor or make <laughs> it your chaos monkey exactly this chaos monkey so uh, for those who aren't familiar netflix has this thing called the chaos monkey so netflix runs on hundreds of thousands of servers and one thing they wanted to do was to be able to deal with uh servers breaking and so they built software to to take servers offline to force the engineers to write software that was capable of handling servers coming offline at random times and dealing with the spikes and loads. And you <laughs> to be clear, too, it, not in a test environment, like in, in their actual real world environment. That was sort of the most avant-garde part of this. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so basically saying, OK, we're going to have the LIDAR be like offline. What happens to the car? So right. all the scenarios that you want to do for safety of 
having the car come to a stop and all these things, you simulate those of, oh, maybe we're going to we're going to have hail and snow and everything's going to be iced over. And, you know, you read the threads on the Tesla forums of, well, what's going to happen when I'm in the snow? What's going to happen when I'm in the ice? What happens if the camera breaks? What happens if the computer breaks? They're testing all that in simulation. Oh, and if they're not yet, they will be like for sure. And it's totally possible because from the computer's point of view, it's just ones and zeros coming in. Like that's it. It's just getting data or not. And it's getting in a certain sequence or not. Like our, our perception of reality is because we have senses in our hands and our eyes and our ears and our taste buds. And so we think that's very different than uh, what computers are, are thinking and feeling and whatever. But Ultimately, the computer has to, as you were saying, Mike, has to pull everything in from its sensors that we put on the car, but those all get computed into, all sort of get distilled into data feeds, and the data feed is reproducible perfectly in the simulation, and I think that's like the most fundamental thing about this idea is, even if we look at the 3D representation and say, oh, I can tell that's fake, it doesn't mean that the car has any concern about that, and that's a really cool thing, and and then the sort of last piece is, uh, being able to test these rare cases. So what happens when a, uh, semi is, you know, uh, what's it, what's it called? Jackknifing. And it's sort of, uh, across the, the way, or what happens when, you know, cars in front of you, their tires blow up or whatever. You hit black ice. You hit black ice. Yeah. You or there's lose, a sinkhole or yeah. a tire blows up. I mean, any sort of force majeure type thing, you would be able to model safely in simulation and run that through millions of miles of every place you've ever been have a sinkhole appear like every every stop sign a stinkhole appears or whatever um and that's just like you can't do that in the real world and it would be unethical to have (laughs) you know just like force people to run in front of cars uh and at like highway speeds or all these different things so that would make for a hell of a DMV exam. It, it would. And what's interesting is, so Waymo, also in that piece, they do have a place called the Castle um, because they realized that it there were a lot of testing scenarios they wanted to do that aren't safe to do on public streets uh, for lots of reasons. And they, uh, funnily enough, used to use the parking lots across the, the street at Shoreline Amphitheater, which is a big... Um, <laughs> Uh, venue where there's lots and lots of parking and it's a big open space and it's not always used because it's sort of for, you know, music concerts and whatnot. So during the day, it's not always used, but eventually uh, it got, they they were using it so much that they kind of got kicked out. And so they actually went and found an old um, army base uh, down in uh, cash, like down Near Fresno, between, I think, yeah, right? Fresno, and uh, they call it the castle. And basically, what they've done is they've recreated a lot of scenarios and built, uh, you know, streets, uh, roadways, highways, and big car companies have done this in uh, sort of test tracks, improving tracks. But but this is built not just for sort of the roadway and for car sort of dynamics, but for testing scenarios. So what's funny is like, there's all these driveways that don't go anywhere because there's no <laughs> homes. Like it's just for the, the road and the sidewalks and the intersections and the highway intersections. And so they use this space to do these weird tests with cones and cars parked and people backing up and people, bikes running across the way. And so they, that's where they get that ground truth, that reality of what the scenario actually was. And then they build these thousands of variations on it. So um, yeah. it's, it's great. It's just, it's super exciting. Uh, and I don't think Tesla has this sort of proving ground yet, but, but what Tesla has is they have all these cars out there driving, seeing all these things and what's unknown. Well, what's, they're not sending, you know, a video feed and sensor data of every mile logged. And so 
the challenge for Tesla is what information do they want to send back? What information are they sending back? How big is that? Can they actually process it in a meaningful way? Is their team ready for it? Um, so there's still a lot to be sort of understood. But the thing that I was sort of left with in doing all this research and digging into the simulation stuff is it almost seems like we're at the place where you could bootstrap a self-driving car with never actually having a physical car. Like you could write self-driving code for a car and test it in a simulator with simulated sensors and have pretty high confidence it's going to work at least pretty well. Like that, you wouldn't be able to get to 100%. No one will ever get to 100%, but you might be able to get to like 90% or 95%, totally virtually. And that's, I don't think many people would believe that's possible without knowing what's happening with simulation. And that's pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah. And I think people do have some understanding about simulations. Like we said, they have, you know, these people, if they haven't been in one, they've probably seen videos of these like crazy flight simulators where it looks just like the cockpit of a Boeing plane and it's on like hydraulics and the things moving around and they're training pilots in it. Um, But when you think about it, those things don't scale, right? Like you're, you're, you're training pilots without having to have them actually fly and and you're taking the danger out of it. And, you know, you're actually able to just load up certain scenarios. So you do cut down on the amount of time it takes. You don't have to like, you know, take off and climb up and then get into like a spin or whatever it is that you want to test. Um, so you can actually just do the same thing over and over again, but you're still training like maybe a pilot and a co-pilot at any given time in any given simulator. And what becomes amazing and what, what I think really makes people or the people who are involved optimistic about the timeframes here is that once you're simulating all of this stuff in the, in these environments for these autonomous programs, like you could be running, you know, a thousand, a million different simulations at the same time. And all of that knowledge that comes from all of those runs gets distilled into the same, like, quote unquote, brain. So it's it's not like, you know, you you might go to the DMV or, you know, Caleb, you might be driving one way and you have some weird thing happen and you learn from that. And I was driving somewhere else and I had something happen and learn from that. But you don't get the knowledge from my driving and I don't get the knowledge from your driving. And we've talked about this in the past with Tesla's fleet learning. Uh, but that's the thing that's that really, really gets you into accelerated returns here is is like all of these simulations. You're not training when you're running a million simulations, you're not training a million different autonomous driving systems. You're training the same one. So instead of having to do it for a hundred years to become a brilliant driver or 10 years or whatever, like all of that can happen in 10 minutes. Yeah. And one of the, exactly to that point. So in this article about what Waymo is doing is they gave some more updated stats and they've talked about it in the past, but one thing people would slam Google for is like, well, they're not doing as as many real world miles. They've only got a couple million real world miles and Tesla's got hundreds of millions of miles and they're not comparable. Uh, Tesla certainly doesn't have the same level of data fidelity of their real world miles. But what's important is uh, the most updated info is they now have 25,000 cars running in simulation 24-7. So that's pretty impressive uh, to imagine 25,000 drivers collective experience all the time being shared with time one 
I was just sorry. I was just gonna say time isn't necessarily a constant too, because you don't have to have it second for second in the right. simulation. Like one second in the real world could be a millisecond in the simulation. So it's even accelerated in that dimension. Exactly. So the the more compute they can throw at it, the faster the computer is, the faster they can run each of these little scenarios and tweak it. Right. So that's huge. And then. What they they said is that that acute, uh, currently is a, a amounting to eight million miles per day driven in simulation, and so I did a little calculation that the average human, uh, or like sort of the best case scenario for a human actually would be if you drove from the age of sixteen to a hundred and you drove <laughs> twelve thousand miles a year. So let, that's a pretty let, standard car lease. Yeah. So so you know in the lifetime of a human's driving. 16 years old, you get your license, you drive till you're 100, and then you stop. 12,000 miles a year, uh, that would lead you to just over a million miles in your life. So one person may potentially accumulate a million miles over their entire lifetime, 80 plus years. They probably don't drive everywhere. And that is happening eight, eight human lifetimes every single day in simulation at Waymo right now. And as you said, uh, that's not you know, eight different lifetimes and then it's thrown away, it then gets used the next day and it's smarter and it's better. And it means also that the time from an engineer having an idea to improving the system to then saying, oh, we have to wait a week for them to drive it around enough miles to get some statistical significance about our little change we made to the way that we merge onto a highway, we now can actually say, oh, it's been running in the simulator. It just did a million miles in a couple hours. Great. We're good. Move on. Write right. a test. Lock it in. We're good. <laughs> like going from weeks, they said literally they had the, the time has been cut down since the beginning of the program of weeks of implementation to validation to now minutes for certain features. And that the faster you can get the cycle time down in software, the faster you can make progress and accumulate compounding gains. And it's it's extremely extremely impressive and uh it's it's just it's so unlike real learning as we were talking about in open ai episode that it's just uh it seems very clear that simulation is going to continue to be extremely important and that the majority of work will most likely happen in simulation and right. then a very small percentage will happen in the real world to validate it uh, to make sure like super strange things don't happen but um yeah, if you're if you uh, want to, I think if you if you have any belief that self-driving cars are going to happen, you have to also believe simulation is going to continue to improve. Yeah, I think that's the, the that's the thing to to if you're skeptical at all about the sort of progression of the autonomy and think that that some of these predictions about it being you know uh, I've heard like you know in in five years we'll have like fully autonomous Uber type systems mm-hmm. like this is why this is it's not that. You can't look at like a self-driving vehicle driving around in the real world and, and mentally scale that up and say, well, you know, they've only got like 50 vehicles and how much driving are they really doing? That is the the proverbial tip of the iceberg. And and the uh, the the real uh, important stuff is happening uh, digitally. Cool. Well, any um, I think that I think that sort of covers it a little bit uh, shorter episode, but uh, still, I think about an hour or so. Um, <laughs> we, we can just babble on and on about these things. It's, it's very exciting. So we've got some exciting new stuff coming up uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. Um, we've got some special guests who are going to be joining us. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've got the Tesla semi thing happening. It's, it's September. So we should have 
over 1200 Model 3s produced if things go well, and the Semi Unveil, and probably some more stuff about the Mars colonization, which we might touch on if it really... Um, <laughs> That's a wide range. <laughs> there's a lot of ha- stuff happening, but I um, oh, wanted to uh, just say if any of you are thinking of uh, buying a Model S or X anytime soon and want to get both $1,000 off your purchase price and get free unlimited supercharging, uh, there'll be a code. Uh, you can use our referral code in the... Um, uh, show notes and that is provided by the tesla geeks uh anwar beck and russell um who are friends of the show and have helped uh, get us to some of the tesla events as their guests and they uh, are going to keep doing that for us so we're really thankful for that and want to help them out with uh, hopefully getting a roadster so please use that code <laughs> if you're going to get one of the vehicles and then uh, if you want to get in touch with us how can how can folks do that mike yeah, you can tweet us on twitter.com. Uh, we are at The Tesla Show. Uh, we have a website on the World Wide Web at theteslashow.com. And we are also redditing on Reddit at r slash The Tesla Show. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later next. Uh, talk to you later, Mike, and talk to you next week. <laughs> oh, we should have run some more simulations on our outro there. I know. I should, I should do some unit tests to make sure I don't step on myself. All right. Next time. All right. Next time. Bye. Bye.